Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Matt Denton. He is the Senior Global Director for Inspire Value, ServiceNow. Prior to ServiceNow, Matt was the value engineering practice leader for VMware and a product and marketing leader at GE Healthcare and GE Asset Intelligence. Welcome, Matt Denton. Thank you, Tom. Great to see you again, and thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you as well. Now, you started off in a similar role to what I did in product and marketing leadership, and I want to know about your journey. How did you get into value engineering and management? Yeah, well, I'll say it probably started when I was back at GE. Um, I didn't really know value engineering was a role or a profession, but I came off a leadership program at GE with GE Asset Intelligence. And that company did satellite tracking for tractor trailers, rail cars. And my role was to determine the value that customers were going to get. So mm-hmm. think about Walmart had 55,000 trailers and we wanted to put satellite tracking on all of them. They view that as very expensive. And the whole purpose of this role was to show them that they could um, get better optimization of their fleet. So I had to take all the analytics, all the data, turn it into something that was meaningful to them around turn times, assets sitting idle, whether they were loaded, unloaded, and give that information to them so they could see the benefit. And then when I transitioned over to GE Healthcare, it was in molecular imaging, working with PET scanners, nuclear med cameras, mm-hmm. and cyclotrons. And this, the whole purpose of the marketing role there was to show the benefit that the medical or doctors could get from you know, installing these cameras, and also the value that their patients would get. And then at one point I was looking for something new and a friend of mine approached me about a value engineering role at VMware. And I didn't know anything about the software industry or virtual servers, but once we started talking about the role, it was always focused on the customer and the problems that we're trying to solve and the benefits that we can bring them. And it just seemed that I've been doing that for years at GE. So I decided to take a, a chance and give that a shot and formally got into the practice. Um, that's really how it all got started. That's awesome. And uh, it's kind of the accidental route to value that many of us have right. taken, right? Um, we're definitely seeing, I mean, we know companies like GE have been doing value for a long time. Gosh, IBM has been doing value. They've had formalized programs for decades and decades and VMware has certainly been practicing a long time, but we're seeing many, many new organizations uh, they're formalizing their value practice like never before. What are you seeing out there in terms of the trends around that? Well, I'm certainly seeing an uptick in just the demand for it. And the reason for that is the number of people on our team are being recruited. Um, so, <laughs> so we are seeing a lot of companies that are interested in, in advancing this role or even creating it. And it's not just from the major software vendors anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it from smaller companies and I'm seeing it from industries outside of, you know, where you typically see it. Um, and I'm also seeing other companies that are looking to expand or even rebuild what they've done. They're continuing to to make their practices better. And I think, you know, there's a, it's a small community that we're part of 
And there's really good collaboration across companies in terms of best practice sharing and all that. So as we continue to make the practice better, it's just, I think there's a bit of a snowball effect there that other companies want to take part of it and continue to evolve. I completely I think, agree. I think all of it is driven by customer demand, right? And um, right. we certainly saw that particularly an uptick post-pandemic. But even before that, I think, you know, the need for value proof and the need for, you know, executive approvals, COVID committees are certainly in place today. I think that the whole practice is really being driven a lot by customer demand, correct? Yeah, I would certainly say that. There's no shortage of demand on our side, that's for sure. But, um, you know, I do think the practice is evolving overall. You know, when I started at VMware, it was really about the cost justification. Mm -hmm. And we were getting pulled into, hey, collect some information, put it through a calculator, explain the benefits to the customer. And now it's more about let's focus on the company's strategic initiatives first. Let's focus on the problems that they're having. What business outcomes do they want to focus on? And we start there. And we don't start with collecting the data until towards the end. Yeah. And it's definitely not about just total cost of ownership anymore. Kind of like back in the VMware days, it is much more about business objectives and then business outcomes and proving them pre-sales. And we'll talk a little bit about post-sales as well. And I'm too seeing that um, value as a practice is moving into companies that were much smaller, that wouldn't really have a formal value practice. They're implementing it. And then industries that I wouldn't imagine would have value practices now are having them. Uh, whether that be justifying paint into apartments so you can get faster apartment turns or um, flavor enhancers so you can expand market. Uh, It is definitely going into products and solutions that I didn't even know in some cases existed that they're trying to prove value for. Yeah, I know. I just heard of one the other day um, around executive coaching. Yeah. And the value of executive coaching. Yeah, definitely getting into some softer value proof points uh, for some of the um, right. some of the companies. But it is a very exciting time to be a part of the practice. And I, as you said, it's different today than it was just a few years ago. So let's talk about some of those differences. First, I know I'm seeing value uh, and a desire for solution providers to introduce that earlier in the buying journey. Um, what are you seeing with regard to kind of when you're seeing value introduced into the prospect discussions? Well, we always knew that we wanted to get involved earlier, right? So we could start talking about the the challenges that customers were having and not getting pulled in towards the end of the sales cycle where it just became a check the box, generally a TCO analysis. So from our practice, you know, we've done a lot to educate the sales teams to bring us in early and we have a sales cycle, you know, whether it's basically when they're doing discovery and starting to figure out the solution. Um, So we do have a, we've, we've done a great job educating them. They are pulling us in early, but I think also from the customer standpoint, when you think about them being able to educate themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, we've done a really good job putting out white papers, putting out customer testimonials and references so they can get educated on the value that they can get prior to engaging us as well. Uh, definitely. And um, back in the day, and I'm interviewing Steve Siegel coming up pretty soon. I work with Steve on on yep. some of those programs, um, going and getting forest. As did I. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yep. And and I think that's when, I, I don't know if we had met on that program. I know we met long before then, but um, 
Um, Steve and the team uh, definitely worked to get Forrester research. So getting TEI studies so that you knew what customers were experiencing and leveraging that. And then creating uh, a collection of interactive calculators so that customers could get a very quick value estimate. Um, talk about that right. and the success of that program or what you would advise companies to do who were looking to do uh, value marketing better. Well, I would, so I worked with Steve when he was here and we did work with him on the, they put a Forrester calculator on our .com mm -hmm. and which was great for generating interest. You know, one of the challenges though that we did see is the numbers from Forrester versus what our value consultants were doing didn't necessarily tie out 100%. And I think that was actually okay because, you know, we approach things differently, but having third party, third party validation was, was key. And we were within the same ballpark. Fast forward a little bit to where we are today. The, the models that we use that the, the value practitioners use today is the same one that's on the .com. It's just a simpler version. So those things do tie out. The messaging ties out, the numbers tie out as we bring in that lead from .com and move it into a value assessment. Yeah, and I do think that tie-in is really important so that you've got the same numbers, the same positioning, the same um, value drivers. Uh, we've definitely seen programs where those don't align and they can cause challenges. As well, I think some marketing uh, programs and tools where they don't um, maybe open up enough to let you see some of the assumptions and you know, I think a lot of times I like to trust customers that they know their environments and they know their value pretty well. Um, I'm not a huge believer in like black box calculators where you can't see the assumptions right. or sometimes challenge them. Uh, but there's also a balance, right? You don't want to make the tool too complex or perhaps lead to erroneous results. Uh, so that's always a tough balancing act. Yeah. And you know, I will also mention, you know, when we decided to to make this change, we, we ended up getting everything still validated by Forrester. Mm -hmm. um, so it has that third party validation as well. But then we, we also expose all of those assumptions to the customer as well. So they can see everything that's going in it. They can, you know, put in their own numbers, their own assumptions. We can give some guidance based on what we're seeing from other customers. But, you know, they have free, ac you know, open access to it all. Yeah, I do agree. You, you could definitely should trust your customers with that and you need to kind of be credible right from the start with them. Right. Um, a, a calculator where you put in two numbers, get a magical, you know, 800% ROI and, uh, and that's what the customer is going to bank on. Uh, not exactly a best practice in my mind. Right. Um, pre -sales, I would agree. Yeah. Pre-sales, um, what used to be kind of relegated to a value engineer, many organizations are recognizing that, you know, it's hard to scale with value engineers alone. Uh, like you said, from your own organization, you know that the demand in value engineers is increasing because they're getting job requests, right? They're getting approached for hires because all of these value engineering programs are expanding, but it's really hard to scale with specialists alone. So tell us a little bit about what, what you did there and um, what your recommendation is to other practitioners. Well, yeah, you're certainly right with that. I mean, we have grown the team over the past five and a half years since I've been here. I was the third person that joined. There's over 70 plus value consultants on the team today globally. And the demand never stops. 
So we continue to raise the bar in terms of the opportunities that we're involved in. It used to be open to everybody, right? Just call us, more of that reactive approach that we talked about earlier. But now we have to set some guardrails um, on the types of deals that we work on because we want to maximize you know, the opportunities and the capacity of the team. But we also didn't want to turn people away that still wanted to have a business case. And there's thousands of opportunities out there that still require it. Um, so we ended up building a value management platform um, that it, we enabled 2,400 people in the company on. They can go in and do self-service business cases pretty easily now. So it's a guided, guided process. They can enter in their information. They can still focus on the value messaging to understand what the customer's initiatives are, the problems that they're faced with and then put in some data and come up with a business case. Same tool that, that the value team uses as well. We just open it up to everybody. And that's really good. I, I would highly advise um, companies to do that because so many deals really require value. If you're only supporting it with your value engineering team, you're gonna have a hard time getting value in as many deals as you should be getting it into. Right. And I would also mention, you know, we're starting to open that up to our partner community as well. Awesome. So we're, we're kind of piloting it right now, but starting to put more of a formal process around it to give them enablement on it and then offer support as well. Yeah. And it's harder with the partner community because getting them to pay attention to training, they only use it um, probably a lot less than the sellers might use it. You do have to think about uh, how to scale that enablement even further. And that will be yeah, then yeah. putting extra demands on your value consulting team, right? Correct. Yes, it will. Yeah. Yep. But when you look at how many deals we're looking to put through partners nowadays for many of the businesses and, and the way that um, many organizations are scaling, if you don't enable your sellers and then two, you don't enable your partners, you're losing out again on having value in almost every deal and it needs to be. Um, we're seeing a lot of deals that don't have value just stall out at the nth hour. Um, and a lot of times the seller wonders why that happens. But when that champion has to go in or mobilizer has to go into the uh, uh, group of stakeholders and get them on board and get consensus and then go to a CFNO, an executive COVID committee to get approval without a business case, they're going to struggle. And you know, if the numbers are true from IDC, 65% don't have the metrics, numbers, tools, models to put together their own business case. We can't leave this to chance on really any deal. Yeah, well, I, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, we, we do measure everything here. So when we rolled this out, we started to track what was the, what was the outcome. Um, and we had a couple thousand self-service business cases come in there. And we were able to show that they had a 1.7 times better win rate than, than if they weren't using it. So it certainly seems to be helping the sellers close more business. Awesome. As value engineering has matured and as so many businesses have gone to as a service, um, it's not just a pre-sales function anymore, correct? Have you moved over to use value now for recurring revenue, assuring that that occurs for expand selling, upsell and cross sell with the growth group and the customer success org? Um, absolutely. And I would say, you know, the company has actually even taken it further where it's, it's not just the pre-sales and post-sales, but there's a whole value methodology here 
that is really everybody's responsibility. It's not just falling on the shoulders of the value consultants anymore. It's the account executives, the solution consultants, the service, you know, the services, the partners, marketing, et cetera, customer success. And, you know, it all starts with envisioning value, which is really trying to figure out, you know, what is the value that the customer could get by doing the business case, strategic roadmap, et cetera, to then doing that handoff to the person or the, the team that's doing the implementation. So they understand why the customer bought and if they're going to make any changes to that impl- impl- or implementation, that's going to have impact to the value. Mm-hmm. Once they've implemented, then we want to focus on uh, validating value. So this is doing the value realization studies mm-hmm. and then moving into what we call champion. And that is around telling the customer story, right? Whether it's public or private, or if they want to use it internally, but showcasing the success that they've achieved. But back to your question around, you know, specifically on customer success. Yes. I mean, we talked about enabling the 2400 AEs and SEs on doing value assessments. We're also working with our renewals team and our customer success team to help educate them and train them on value realization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've made a lot of progress in value realization over the past couple of years. And what we're seeing is, you know, we want to get involved with these customers six to nine months before renewal because yeah. the, re- you know, the renewal is, is the recurring revenue that you were talking about that we're interested in. And we want to make sure that customers are getting value and even letting them know that there's still value on the table that they may have not achieved yet. But we want to have those conversations far enough in advance where it's not real close to the renewal. So we can help, you know, help the customer understand that the value that they're getting or not getting and, and make some improvements if needed. Yeah. And I like your statement of um, kind of showing that there's value that they left on the table, because a lot of times we see that, you know, they might have bought licenses that haven't been rolled out. Adoption may not be near the users or the scope that you wanted. And what better way, you know, maybe you're six months in, 12 months in, or maybe a year into a deal of a two or three year license period. And wouldn't it be great to recognize and help justify some extra enablement efforts or um, training efforts or workflow improvement efforts so that they can realize that value that they're leaving on the table way before the renewal. And then certainly that would help them to gain the resources they need to do that. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be a negative thing, right, where the customer doesn't think they're getting value. A lot of times we get brought in, the customer knows they're getting value. They just have a hard time quantifying it and articulating it, mm-hmm. and they want to buy more. But in order to go get funding to do more, they need to tell that story. So we're able to come in, simplify it, help them you know, tell the story to their executives on the value that they achieve. So it's less about the technical conversations, but more about the impact to the business. And what we're seeing is on an upsell, when we're engaged doing doing value realization, we have a 2x upsell um, opportunity versus if we're not doing value realization and engagements. So it is is expanding the footprint. A lot of times those value realization studies turn into another business case, and it's just a cyclical thing where we just keep going around the value methodology circle. I love it. So what was the biggest challenge that you faced over the past 12 months with the, with the practice? Obviously in that 12 months COVID hit. So I'm sure that was a part of it. A lot of your value studies were probably 
were some of them on site and uh, in person? Um, they were. A lot of our work was done in person. But I would say, you know, at the start of last year, that's when we launched the value management platform. So mm -hmm. the biggest challenge was really getting that rolled out, getting all of the, the people, or the sellers enabled on that, having a good user experience, working out all the kinks, driving adoption in that. And that value management platform, you know, included our value models and value messaging to make it easy for sellers to do discovery, quantify, and articulate value. And, you know, the value messaging piece, this was a, another large undertaking that, that took us quite a bit of time to put together. But, you know, we were starting those engagements from scratch every single time. Mm -hmm. But we also had a library of thousands of business cases that we did. So we, we could summarize or simplify the initiatives the problems that customers are having. And we put that into our discovery material. So now we have a starting point with each customer that we enabled the, the field on as well. And it helps us get to alignment much quicker. And then to your point about COVID hitting, um, once we had to switch to online and doing Zoom, you know, we took all of that value messaging, things that we would do in discovery sessions on whiteboards or in conference rooms, and put it in PowerPoint or on Miro and started using other online tools to be able to run these discovery sessions. That's awesome. And um, I, I love too that you're using yeah. the messaging as well. Uh, I'm a big proponent of making sure you've got a good story and the numbers are there to kind of help yeah. tell that story. Um, it's a lot of work to put together that messaging, but without it, in many instances, the numbers are going to fall flat. Your champion might know what your meaning behind certain value drivers and why you should solve a problem and what the solution can do to solve that. But without that messaging, that business case won't be understood by the rest of the stakeholders and the approval committees. No, that's, that's true. And the way that we built our framework out is we want to focus on messaging at the executive level, the C-suite, down to the functional leader, down to the practitioner and then also connect the value to all three of those groups yeah so depending on whoever you're talking to or whoever's looking at the business case they can relate to it awesome i, I would also say because you mentioned covid so the other challenge that we had was you know probably a year or two ago you know 80 percent of our work was done on the value assessment side 20 percent was done on value realization but we had to fast forward things to value realization nobody was sure what was going to happen to budgets or the economy when COVID hit. So we shifted 50% of our capacity to value realization and just started getting in and talking to customers to understand the value that they were getting. Um, so we just wanted to get ahead of that. Yeah. And, and I think that was a, just a big shift for the, for the team. A lot of organizations recognized and had even, because hunting was so good, um, they left a lot of their customers. Um, uh, account management was kind of a forgotten practice. And as you said, uh, kind of the ability to go and get those new customers was going to be compromised in this new environment. So what better time to focus back on account management, back on growth and reestablishing the relationship with the existing accounts? And what better way to do that than with value? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been doing value realization for a couple of years, but this, you know, COVID really accelerated the practice and it's just the amount of engagements that we're doing in that space. Awesome. What are you looking fo forward most to over the next 12 months? Well, you know, we are going a lot deeper in industry. Prior to, to this, we were product focused, you know, whether it was IT service management or HR, or CSM, mm -hmm. customer service management. But we are 
putting a lot more focus on industry. So there's going to be a lot of work for this team to come up with that value messaging and also models with an industry spin on it. Um, we are dedicating resources to our partner community to mm-hmm. help them bring offerings to market faster. And there's some different, it's just a different process, I would say, in terms of the traditional um, value consulting work that we've been doing, because we have to find the win not only for the partner, but then the wins for their customers and tie all those together. But we are looking to to scale that out based on the learnings that we have. And then I would say, you know, we've talked a lot about value assessments and value realization. We're going to continue to do that. But this year, we are also going to focus on growing pipeline. We're going to take the insights that we've learned from industry, from our benchmarks, from customer insights to do an outside-in analysis on value perspectives and bring that into account planning in our top accounts to help the account teams and customers dream big and try and grow a pipeline that way. So that's going to be another challenge that we have moving into this year. Love it. You've got someone new who's starting a new practice or they're looking at ways to kind of scale their practice. What's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave the Evolver community with today and and give to those folks? Yeah, I'll leave you with two, actually. Um, So I think the first one is hire great people. Take the time to find the right people and then let them innovate. Because, you know, there, there's no way we would be where we are today if we didn't hire great people and allow them to innovate and help grow our practice. I do remember probably three years ago hitting a bit of a plateau where I didn't know what else to do. And bringing in other people's ideas, letting them run with them, is what enabled us to, to grow the practice to what it is today. And then in terms of scaling the practice, I would say measure the outcomes that that your practice or function are bringing back to the business. We've been measuring everything for years and we can, we know, we know that we have an impact on the business, whether it's win rate or upsells. And so when it comes to budget time, you know, we have our own internal business case to show which levers you want to pull because, you know, if you want 2X win rate on these deals or 2X upsell on renewals, we can either scale it through adding more people or more technology and enabling the field to get there. So I would just say measure everything that you do and do your own internal uh, business value assessment on your practice. Awesome. Matt Denton, absolutely love it. How can folks reach out to you online? I would say the easiest way would probably be through LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll include your LinkedIn address as part of the meeting notes. Matt Denton, thank you for joining us and participating to make the Evolvers a great and growing community. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me, Tom. Until next time, Evolvers, keep evolving.